Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and beautiful people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your horizontal host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries. Today, we are speaking with Shelby. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shelby. Thank you so much for having me, Miss Jill. So how old are you and where are you? I am 31 years old and I am here in beautiful Eastern Kentucky, specifically in Ashland. Awesome. And what is Ashland known for? Ashland is known for being the home of Billy Ray Cyrus and the wonderful hit single, Achy Breaky Heart, as well as a country music sensation. The Judds as well. Forgot about the Judds earlier. The last time I heard Achy Breaky Heart, there was like a small village of people doing a line dance to it on Catalina Island. And it was so cool. Did people do that where you Yeah, it's pretty much a rite of passage. You have to know the line dance. You have to pretty much know the song by heart. That is the next thing that you're taught after you're taught to spell the word cats when you are born (laughs) in Eastern Kentucky. Right on. Okay. All right. So who do you live with? I live with my husband and my two children and my two cats and my two dogs. And how old are your children? Nine and ten. Okay. I have a little boy and a little girl. My girl is my oldest. And what would they say is your personality type? My kids? Oh, goodness. It depends on the day. I pretty much wear my heart on my sleeve. So if I'm feeling bad, you're going to know it. But if it's a good day, you're also going to know it. And I try try not to reflect that too much on my children, but they know. They've been dealing with this since they were born. They know the mom has her good days and her bad days. So I'm definitely not Mary Poppins. But I'm also not Miss Hannigan either. So I walk a fine line in between the two. Awesome. Okay. So what are you passionate about? I am passionate about helping others. My husband and my friends will tell you that hospitality is my spiritual gift. So I really love to help and serve in my community. I'm really passionate about helping my community grow and then, you know, just helping anyone in any way that I can. I like to feed people. That's a Southern woman thing, I guess. But that's my love language is food and acts of service, I guess. That's so nice. Okay. So as somebody who absolutely hates to cook, I hate everything about cooking. I hate the heat. I hate the standing. But even before those things were challenges for me, I hated cooking because I guess just low confidence. Like I was worried that I would make something and people would pretend it was good when it oh, was. Oh, honey, that's what casseroles are for, sis. If you put enough <laughs> potatoes and cheese in something, people will eat it. It's a secret. Just throw everything in a dish and cover it with cheese until it's bubbly and you can't go wrong. That's awesome. I have always admired confident cooks. So any other secrets of confident cooking? I guess if you're making a casserole, the more cheese, the better. And if you're throwing something in a crock pot, the more cream cheese, the better. That's how you hide all your mistakes. Excellent. Okay. So if we were to force you to brag about yourself, besides cooking, what are you good at? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't like to brag. 
my husband says that self-deprecation is also my other gift. No, I guess I like to sing. I like to sing a whole lot. Back before my illness kind of took over my life, in my past life, I did pageants and I did a lot of talent competitions. And even now at my local cigar lounge, they have karaoke night and it's my favorite. It's my favorite night. I just love to sing. I used to lead worship at my church before standing up to lead worship got to be too difficult. And now I just happily sing from the congregation. But yeah, singing is something that I love. Any favorite type of music to sing? I don't know. That just depends on my mood. My husband says that my voice is suited for country music, but being from Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia, I'm sure that's nice. That's awesome. Okay, so you alluded to a life before POTS. Could you give us a snapshot of what that looked like and how long ago was that? Oh, gosh. Well, it's kind of hard. So right now in my journey, we're still kind of piecing the timeline together, but I definitely noticed my health taking sharp right turn down the wrong path when I was 18 years old. I was a freshman in college and I got mono. And after that, my life completely changed. I didn't have as hard a time as I do now, but it just progressively got worse. I did get COVID too. My husband and I joked that we got the original designer COVID in 2020. No variants here, Betty. We are original. So that certainly didn't help anything. It definitely progressively got worse after that. But I was showing symptoms of autonomic disorder and autoimmune disorders ever since I got Epstein-Barr when I was 18. So before all of that, I was an athlete in high school, middle school. I had a pretty active childhood. I wasn't a star athlete by any means because it's not my style. It wasn't my personality. It wasn't my interest, but I was a cheerleader. I played volleyball. I attempted to run track, but even before POTS took over, I felt like to run. wasn't <laughs> my thing, but I love to go swimming. I love to do all the things. I love to hike. Hiking is one thing that I can still do now if I'm very careful about it because I just love it. But yeah, before, before pot and before all of the journey that I'm on right now, life was very different. So what was your first sign of pots? My first sign of pots was this past January. I got sick. I thought it was COVID because COVID was going around my office again. So I was like, oh no, if someone's going to catch COVID like five times, it's going to be me. Because that's always been the running joke. If something can go wrong medically, if something can be anomaly, it's going to be me because it always has been. And so I... Went to the urgent care that's like two minutes from my house and went ahead and got tested. Didn't have COVID, but I just walked in there and I was feeling bad. But I never, ever have paid attention to my heart rate monitor or anything like that on my Apple Watch. Never paid attention to it because, you know, I've been gaslit my whole entire life and everything's in my head. So when I feel bad, I'm like, no, I don't. So <laughs> when I went to sit down and they took my vital, the nurse was like, sis, your heart rate's like 150. And I was like, oh, okay. She's like, do you feel bad? I'm like, do I feel bad? She's like, yeah, why don't you just sit here? And so I did. And I think the lowest I got at that point, because, you know, of course, if I'm sick, I'm going to be flared up. I know that now, but I got, I think the lowest I got while I was sitting there was like 110. And now that's just Tuesday. <laughs> so the doctor came in and saw me. He's like, hey, you're COVID negative, you're flu negative. I don't know what's going on with this, but you need to be on bed rest for a couple of days. You've obviously got a virus impacting your system. And so I went home, I called my boss. I was like, hey, I'm in tachycardia right now. And they don't know why. So they put me on bed rest for a couple of days to see if the virus just leaves my system. That's fine. Well, the next day, I just, I could hardly move. Like to get up and go to the bathroom was like exhausting. And so my 
husband is my son's wrestling coach. And so he was gone to practice that evening. I was home by myself. My husband promised me promised to stay on the couch, like couch, bathroom, couch, bathroom. That's it. And even then he's like, listen, if you can hold it, try to. So I got up to go to the restroom and I had my cold socks and I started to get really dizzy. And I looked down and my heart rate, just walking to the bathroom, like 10 steps was at 175. Oh, And I started to get really scared. And I knew my husband wasn't going to be home for a couple hours because he's with my son. And so I called my friend Haley, who is an RN, and her husband is a doctor who is also one of my closest friends that I grew up with. I said, hey, do you care to just come over and sit with me until TJ gets home? TJ's my husband. I said, I'm kind of scared. This has never happened before. I really feel bad. Can you come sit with me? And she said, yeah, sure. And she said, do you want me to bring Chris, her husband, with me? And I said, no, don't bring Chris because he'll freak out. Because her husband, Chris, who is a doctor, he knew me pre-pots. He's known me since I was a child. Well, of course he comes over and he comes with her (laughs) and he brings his doctor bag and all that. And she said, I tried. I really tried to leave him at home and he would. And he looked at me and he said, daggone it, you're my sister. And if you're sick, I'm going to help you. So he sits me up on my ottoman and he starts taking my vitals and starts checking me out. And I faint in his arms. Just real quick, you know, the lights just, they didn't go out. They flickered a little bit. And he's like, you're hyperventilating. And I was like, what? Like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm all right. Just let me lay down. I'm fine as long as I'm laying down. He said, yeah, but you can't lay down for the rest of your life. We have to go. And I said, okay, that's fine. So he takes me to not our local emergency room because that's where my friend Haley worked. She said that they were lined out that night. It was going to be a five hour wait. So they take me to a neighboring emergency room over in Ironton, which is close, is about 20 minutes away. That was honestly one of the worst nights of my life because that was the worst case of medical gaslighting I've ever had because I walk in and I can barely walk in. They have to put me in a wheelchair because I'm almost passing out because I am in a full-blown flare-up. And I get back there and they take my vital signs when I'm laying down. Of course, they're like, you're normal. You're anxious. And I said, listen, I know what anxious feels like. I also have ADHD. And at that time, I was taking Concerta for my ADHD. So of course, they see a mental health drug and they see that I have a diagnosis of ADHD. So they immediately go to mental health. That's what's wrong with her. Because ADHD medication can cause tachycardia in certain patients. Now, fast forward to the doctor actually coming in after the nurses have gaslit me and told me, listen, your vitals are fine. Like you need to calm down. You're just anxious. The doctor comes in and says, well, I noticed that you're on this medication. How long have you been taking this medication? This is a common side effect. I said, listen, I've been on this medication for two months. I know my body. And I looked at him and I was like, listen, I've had a panic attack before. Had several of them. I know what it feels like. This ain't it. I would gladly have a panic attack right now over this. Like I literally feel like I'm running a marathon and I am laying here sitting still. And he basically was like, listen, We'll do some blood work. We'll do an EKG on you, you know, but you're fine. You just need to calm down. You need to calm down. And so he offers me an Ativan. And at this point, I'm like, okay, do I refuse the Ativan and be completely belligerent? And then he sends me on a 72-hour grippy sock vacation. Or do I take that? What's my grippy sock vacation? Uh, 72-hour site cold. Ah. And I'm like, or do I take the Ativan? Because at this point, I probably do need the Ativan because I'm angry. And so 
they took my blood work and wouldn't you know it, my electrolytes are in the toilet and I am not okay. And he comes in, he's like, oh, well, yeah, you need some fluids. We'll give you this out of van. You can just follow up with your primary care. Okay, cool. So lucky for me, I have a really good PCP. I have a great PCP. And I went in the following Monday and I explained to him what all happened. And he's like, okay, so something's not right. He's like, I'm going to send you for a 24-hour holter. I'm going to refer you to cardiology. And we're going to take you off of your ADHD medication for a month, 30 days, just to see if anything changes. Okay, cool. Like he started me on a path in the right direction. Now, sure enough, nothing changed. It's not my ADHD medication. Now I know that. But he got me in touch with my current cardiologist, Dr. Van Deren, King's Daughter of the Nashland. If anyone in Eastern Kentucky needs a doctor that is familiar with POTS, it was so nice to walk into that. It was so nice to walk into his office the day that I first saw him, the day that I got my POTS diagnosis earlier this in February of this year. It was so nice to walk into his office and he didn't even have to touch me or look at me. He read over my charts and he's like, so you have POTS. I was like, I was like, you know what that is? He's like, yeah, I know what that is. He said, what did you think was wrong with you? I said, honestly, he, he looked at me and I started crying because the words that came out of his mouth exactly were, it's not in your head. And I was like, thank you. And so him and his nurse practitioner is Brian Davis. That's who I'm currently seeing treatment with. They're fantastic. And it's so wonderful to walk into a facility and have a medical staff that knows, like, I don't have to educate my medical team. And that's wonderful. And Dr. Van Deren, during that first visit, he's like, listen, he said, I can't cure you of this, but I can do what I can to help you have the most quality of life possible. So it might take us a few times. It might take a few different things. It might be a process, but my job is to make sure that you have the best quality of life that you can because you are so young. And then he said, you know, there's support groups, there's Facebook groups. He said, I encourage you to join those because what works for one person might not work for another person, or there might be something that I don't know to try that we can talk about. And he was very receptive and he's very open. And I absolutely love that. Oh, that's so wonderful. Okay. So once you had a diagnosis, did you find anything that helped a great deal? How much better are you now? Well, I was okay back then. So like I said, I got my official POTS diagnosis in February. I was okay. He, you know, up my salt intake. He said to start recumbent exercises, rowing machine, recumbent bike. I ordered myself a little pedal thing that I can sit on the couch while I'm sewing and watch TV and pedal. And, you know, obviously drinking all the salt water. My husband now, he says it's like playing water bottle roulette in our house because <laughs> if he accidentally picks up one of my water bottles and takes a drink of it, he's not happy about it. So I was okay. It wasn't great, but I wasn't terrible until about mid-June. And that's when the weather here got terrible. So I always have been heat intolerant. I always say that I have seasonal affective disorder, but it's the complete opposite. So like the summer months, I hate the summer months. They're absolutely terrible. But the winter and the fall is where I thrive because I can be inside and I can be cozy and all the blankets and all the things. So in the middle of June, I started to get really bad to the point where I couldn't hardly get out of bed in the morning. All of my joints were flared. I was having episodes just... You know, I couldn't hardly function to the point where I didn't like being alone with my children, especially if they were playing outside. I didn't trust myself just for a safety reason for them. Now, my kids are old enough and they know now, like if something happens to mom, they know where my cell phone is. They know how to call like they 
they know, but still, I never want to put them in that position. So I went back to the doctor and I saw my doctor's nurse prac, Brian, about six weeks ago. And he was like, how are you doing? And I was like, really crappy. I said, but I know there's not a whole lot you can do because that's what I was telling my husband. My husband was like, do I need to take you to the emergency room? I said, what are they going to do? They're not going to do anything. They're going to send me home. He's like, well, yeah, you need to tell your doctor. I said, babe, this is one of those things that you just kind of have to suffer through. We can treat the symptoms. We can try to make it better, but there's nothing we can. And then Brian, at my last visit, he said, hey, this is kind of unconventional, but, you know, we can try it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, it's not going to hurt anything. But he actually started me on a cycle of IV therapy. I've been going once a week, just getting fluids, fluids and banana bag, just electrolytes once a week. And I can tell it, it helps. It does help. I get a few good days out of it, but then it starts on the downhill again. That's where I'm at right now. They're really big on trying to find out what the cause is. So my POTS, they really believe that I have secondary POTS. So we have to figure out what is underlying. So I recently found out that autoimmune diseases run in my family. And so right now I talked to Brian. And so right now we're looking at Two big possibilities are lupus and MS. So we're trying to figure that out right now to see because if they can treat the underlying cause, then hopefully my POTS will resolve itself and or at least get better at this point. So so that's kind of where I'm at right now currently in my POTS journey. Today's been a weird day. I think I peaked at 209 today, which is the highest I've ever seen myself. Oh, 209 um, beats per minute. Yes, ma'am. Just a little blip. And honestly, I started to feel kind of like and I was sitting up crisscrossed on my bed and I had just walked in from my kitchen and I knew I wasn't feeling good, but I was like, oh, you know, and I just happened to look down at my watch. I was like, oh, crap. So I immediately laid down very slowly. And honestly, this week, and I, honestly, I was telling my husband, I think I'm starting to get like the seasonal like cred. So I told him, I said, yep, that tracks because if I'm getting sick, that makes sense. Why? I can't control it as well. But you're saying that even just two days after getting your IV fluids, your heart rate got up to 209? Yeah, but here's the caveat to that. Like, I'm not a doctor. I just, I can just tell my experience because I know my own body. So I got fluids on Monday, on my birthday. And the only reason that I had to get them on my birthday is because the week before was a holiday week. Long story short, because of a prior engagement that I had that I had to be out of town for and because of the holiday, I didn't get fluids at all the week before. So I was going on almost two weeks without fluids and, you know, my body, my heart beats so fast that I physically cannot drink enough electrolyte <laughs> to make myself feel better. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, if the fact that, you know, it just wasn't enough and Monday was a whole fiasco in of itself. I know that we were scheduled to originally talk that day, and mm -hmm. you said that there was maybe something that happened during that IV therapy. Are you okay yeah. talking about that? Oh, yeah. It was just a fiasco. And then I had a reaction to the adhesive that was on all the bandages, and my arm was just swollen and really sore because... My vein kept collapsing, like it kept pushing the IV out. So the infusion itself takes two hours. And I always plan for around three because I never know how long I'm going to have to wait and things like that. So I always plan for about three. Well, me and my best friend, we were there at the hospital for almost four and a half hours. So that was great on my birthday. I digress. So my vein kept collapsing. And because I was dehydrated, it just it wouldn't stay. And so it got to the point where she was like, listen, 
I can either try to push this in and secure it and try to find a way where it'll stay, or I can try to stick you again on your other arm or somewhere else. But I'm looking at you right now. It doesn't look like you've got any good veins. I'm going to have to go get the ultrasound machine. She said, I don't want to cause you any more pain than I have to. So you can make that choice. It's up to you. Because the nurse is up there at the infusion center. They're so sweet. And so I opted for her to just try to keep the one that she had. If she could keep the one she had, you know, that's fine. If you have to dig around in my arm or whatever. And so that was a very, very painful experience. (laughs) And then, like I said, so, so it started to go away a little bit, but there's still some redness and swelling and things like that. Yeah. Wonderful bruising. But after that, I was done. I didn't feel good at all. Normally, I feel great after an infusion. I didn't feel good at all. I was exhausted. My arm was hurting so bad. Like I said, I was reacting to the adhesive and all that. And it was just not good. And, you know, it's just a reminder that we have the promise of all these treatments. And sometimes we fight so hard to get access to the treatments. And I think sometimes we forget that they all come with side effects. They all come with unintended consequences. And especially these ones that have to be done repeatedly, right, (laughs) to get a regular infusion. And yeah, every single time it's like, how many times are they going to have to stick you? And are you going to bleed? And is it going to, you know, go bad? And there's a little concern about blood clots or whatnot. And it's just so many things every time. And we don't think people realize how much that can wear on you. I've never bled so much as I did this time. And where my vein was collapsing, you could see just the blood mixed with the solution running down my arm. I was bleeding while it was infusing and it was just, it's all bad. So your POTS management is still a work in progress, it sounds like. Yeah, right now it's very much a process of just figuring out what works. At this point, I am at, I'm at the point where I'll, I'll throw anything at the wall to see if it sticks. And like I said, we're trying to figure out what the underlying issue is. And so I have an MRI here pretty soon and a lumbar puncture and more blood work and all that to try to rule out other things. I don't know. It's just, it's an ongoing journey. I would be remiss if I didn't say that I'm at the point where I'm just like, I don't even care. I've been at some low points even just here in the past week where I looked at my husband, I was like, what's the point of even knowing? Like, I know I'm not going to get any better. Let's just try to muscle through. And I'm 31 years old. I have two young kids. And he looked at me, he was like, well, that's why. That's why you figure out what's wrong. Because if we know, then we either have the peace of mind knowing there's nothing we can do, or we keep trying because we do have young kids. And so I don't know. It's encouraging and discouraging all at the same time. It sounds like you have a good partner in your husband. I do. He has definitely caught the short end of the stick when it comes to in sickness and in health. He has been taking care of me while I've been sick pretty much our whole entire relationship. Because even before POTS and all that, like I said, autoimmune disorders run in my family. So something that's just like the sniffles for him will take me out for two weeks. My immune system is complete trash. So he has definitely taken care of me. I feel like I've been sick like our entire relationship. (laughs) But 12 years and it's been 13 years since I've had mono. So the tracks. So what gives you strength to deal with all this? What helps you cope? Do you have any favorite activities, things you do, strategies? Honestly, the only thing that really gets me through like the really, really hard days, like I'll disassociate and I'll 
watch my favorite TV show or I'll sew. I really love to sew and embroider and things like that. But the only thing that really gets me through on the really, really, really hard days is my faith and knowing that everything in my faith, I believe, and I believe that the Bible says that everything that happens, God is sovereign over and everything that happens is for his glory and my good, even if I can't see it. So I know that I have this for a reason. I'm going through this season of my life for a reason. And my best friend and I were talking the other night. I was literally driving home. It was 1130 at night. I was driving home and I was crying and I was so in my head and all in my feels. And I was so upset. And she said, honey, you do so much for so many people. And you are constantly go, go, go. And you want to do all the things. And you've been that way as long as I've known you. And that is one of your best qualities. She said, but sis, she said, you physically can't right now. She said, and I think that in this season of your life, God is making you slow down. You are in a position where you have to slow down and you need to be still. And I was like, that tracks. And in that moment, that was so encouraging for me because... I don't understand right now, but I know one day I will. And that's what gives me hope. That's what gets me through the hard days. And, you know, as you're telling all these stories, one thing I'm hearing is that you're really good at making friends, right? You had people who came to your house. You had people who went to the ER with you. And I think some of us who are introverts or have not done a good job in terms of letting ourselves get isolated are at least hearing like, okay, that sounds smart. That sounds really smart to be surrounding yourself by these compassionate people. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm good at making friends. I don't know. Like my husband says I'm an introverted extrovert. So I have a tendency to either really overcompensate my extrovertedness or completely withdraw, especially in social situations where I have no idea what I'm doing. I will either be at one extreme or another. You'll either find me in the corner. I will be right in the middle of the room because social cues are way above my head. No one has time (laughs) for that crap. But the way that I work around it is, and my philosophy, and it's definitely burned me more times than it's helped me, is I literally just treat people how I would want to be treated. And I know what it feels like to not have a support system. I know it doesn't sound like it, but there was a time in my life where I really did genuinely feel alone. And so I always try to be that to whoever needs it because I never want someone to have to go through a hard time by themselves. So you could literally be a stranger to me. And if you need something, I'm going to be there. I tell my kids all the time and when my kids have friends, when I'm talking to their parents, if my kid loves you, I love your kid too. And guess what? I love you too. We don't have to be best friends. We don't have to hang out all the time. But if my kid loves your kid, then guess what? You're stuck with me now. So my husband says that I annoy people with my love. And I guess (laughs) that's the only way I know how to put it. That sounds really nice. And I love it when people use their own bad experiences to try to make sure that nobody else has to have the same bad experience. That's kind of where I'm at. Like my mom is going through some health issues right now. And she called me the other day and she was supposed to have a test. And long story short, the test didn't get ran. And she was like, well, Shelby, that's just how it is. I said, no, that's not how it is. You're not allowed to go to the doctor by yourself anymore because if you're not going to advocate for yourself, I'm going to advocate for you. And she was like, well, Shell, just calm down. I was like, no, I'm not going to calm down. I said, because I've had to fight for 13 years 
to get somewhere just to find out that my nervous system is broken. So no, if you're not going to advocate for yourself, it's okay. That's fine. You can sit in the corner. I'll be the loud mouth for you. So if someone's too afraid to step up, I don't mind in the least bit to be that. That is great. That is wonderful and so valuable. All right. Are you up for doing a speed round where you just say the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, gosh, I prepared for this. I listened to a bunch of previous episodes over the past couple of weeks. Okay, let's do it. This is going to be okay. terrible. What is your favorite way to get salt? Element chocolate salt. What is the drink you find the most hydrating? Liquid Ivy. What is your favorite time of day and why? Either early morning or early evening because it's cool enough to actually be outside without my skin melting. Where is your favorite place to spend time and why? Oh, that's hard. So either Emerald Isle, North Carolina, that's the beach we go to every summer, or just down here at Fat Ash Cigar Lounge in Ashland. Nice. What is one word that describes what it's like living with a chronic illness? Exhausting. What is some good advice that anyone has ever given you about anything? Pray and pray more. Shut up and actually listen. What is something small that brings you comfort or joy? My animals, my pets. Who is somebody that you admire? My husband. Do you want to say why? Because he is just awesome. He is so selfless and caring and compassionate and giving. And he would never say it about himself because he has that tough persona. And he definitely can be that guy. But He's my rock. He's never wavered, never second-guessed me, never told me I couldn't do something as even if it was absolutely crazy. He's my constant. Oh, okay. Now you have several thousand potsies who all love him. <laughs> what is something you're proud of? My kids. What is the toughest thing about pots? Waking up in the morning. You never know. It's literally like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. What's an activity that you can enjoy even when you're feeling really potsy? Sewing. What is a gift that you would have sent to every POTS patient on earth if you had infinite funds? Ooh. Oh my gosh, I just said this the other day. Cushion socks. Sorry, I got my first pair the other day and I was a game changer. <laughs> right? What is something that you consider a POTS victory when it happens? When I stand up and don't feel dizzy. What is something that you're grateful for? My life. Can you finish these sentences? Oh, I love it when... I love it when a plan comes together. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I love it when a plan comes together. That's great. I hate it when... Oh, I hate it when someone's left ice on the floor when they've gotten it out of the fridge and I step on it with socks on. That's the worst. That's super unusual. Very inconvenient and super annoying. Have you ever had to sit down or lie down in a weird place because of POTS? And if so, where was the weirdest place? Oh, gosh. Weirdest place? I don't know. I've had to sit on the floor at the cigar lounge before. And my husband calls it falling with style. It's like a flashback from Toy Story because I don't really faint. My legs will start to go like super shaky and I'll just slide down the wall to keep myself safe. And so, yeah, I've had to sit on the floor in the cigar lounge for a minute gain my composure. So that's probably the weirdest place that's ever happened. Okay. I just have a couple more questions. 
Sign. What do you wish more people knew about pot? That it's not a heart condition. There's physically nothing wrong with my heart. It's the nervous system that controls it. That's what's broken, not my heart. Amen. And why did you agree to let us share your story today? Because more people need to know. Like, no one knows about it, but that doesn't mean that it's rare. And that's what I thought. And if by me sharing my story helps someone else find the courage to find a doctor or be an advocate for themselves or, heck, just have a laugh at my expense. Everybody needs a good laugh, especially on those days where you absolutely feel like trash. So I'll be someone's cheap laugh any day because there's nothing worse than feeling like hot garbage. That is so generous. That is awesome. Well, Shelby, thank you for sharing your story and all of your insights with us. We really appreciate it. And I know that everybody listening is wishing you only the best going <laughs> forward. Well, I appreciate that so much, Miss Jill. You keep doing the Lord's work and getting the podcast out. I think it's fantastic. I love what you guys do. And I hope to talk to you again one day, maybe when I find what's wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Shelby. And hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. We'll be back next week. But until then, thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone. And please join us again soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepotscast.com. Thanks for listening.